I don't know about you, I've been watching the Weather Channel some today. And there's some incredible pictures out there. Some uh, great devastation. And uh, I know yesterday morning it looked like the Tampa Bay area was going to get nailed. Uh, but it did go south of that, so... Uh, you know, we know a lot of people in the Tampa area, and uh, so we're thankful for that. But uh, but certainly need to be praying for those that are in the path of that hurricane, because uh, it's uh, it's causing a lot of devastation and destruction. So uh, okay, uh, we almost done with chapter three in Colossians, and. Uh, and then also want to look at chapter 4 tonight. Uh, so I thought I'd start uh, reading uh, Colossians 3, starting in verse 22. And then go ahead and read through the end of Colossians 4. And that way we get it all read. And, uh, and then we'll make some comments. Slaves in all things, obey those who are your masters on earth. Not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of, your, of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. For he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. Masters, grant to your slaves justice and fairness, knowing that you too have a master in heaven. Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well, that God may open up to us a door for the word, so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ, for which I have also been in prison, in order that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned as it were with salt, so that you may know how you should respond to each person. As to all my affairs, Tychicus, our beloved brother and faithful servant and fellow bondservant of the Lord, will bring you information. For I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know about our circumstances, and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of your number, they will inform you about the whole situation here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you his greetings, and also Barnabas' cousin, Mark, about whom you received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And also Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are from the circumcision, and they have proved to be an encouragement to me. Epaphras, who is one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has a deep concern for you and for those who are in Laodicea and Hierapolis. 
Luke, the beloved physician, sends you his greetings, and also Demas. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea, and also Nympha and the church that is in her house. And when this letter is read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and you, for your part, read my letter that is coming from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, Take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my imprisonment. Grace be with you. Okay, in the latter part of chapter 3, we were talking about the various relationships that Paul addresses. you know, husbands, wives, children, parents. And then he gets to slaves or servants and their masters. And I think we ended uh, talking just briefly, just kind of mentioned that if there is the relationship between the servants and their masters that is talked about here, uh, it would be very similar to an employer-employee relationship. And I think therein is some, uh, uh, some lessons for us. Uh, he's addressing the servants or the slaves and is telling them they need to do what their masters tell them to do. And to do that like they're doing that to the Lord. And as employees, we should have a similar kind of attitude. We need to work like we're working for the Lord. And not just for men. And do our work even if the boss isn't looking. Uh, And so... That's something that I think can really cause us to stand out from the world and can help us to have a really good influence on those that we work with. When they see that we have that kind of attitude, uh, that it doesn't matter who's watching or who's not watching, we're going to work well and do things that would be profitable for our employers. Uh, He also points out in verse 24 uh, about a reward. Slaves had no inheritance. You know, sons did, heirs did, but slaves or servants did not. But he points out to them You, you do your work well. You do what the Lord instructs. You'll receive an inheritance. You'll receive a reward. So that's something that would have gotten the slave's attention. I've got a chance for an inheritance. And so... uh, So I thought that was worth pointing out as well. 
really think verses 22 through 24 apply to the slaves. I think 25 can apply both to servants and masters. And then clearly, uh, chapter 4 and verse 1 would apply to the masters. And reminding them, you need to treat your servants fairly and with justice, treat them well, and reminds them, you have a master. You know, you're a servant to the Lord. So, if you keep that in mind, it'll help you to be the right kind of master. Okay, any thoughts or comments on that before we uh, dive into the rest of chapter 4? Uh, Bob. Well, that last section on slaves and masters, uh, the principles can apply to the employee, employer and employee relationship. Uh, basically the same thing. Right. Yes. Yes. Okay, there was Carrie. And then Luke over there. I think, personally, being a slave would be a lot harder than being an employee. Okay. Um, if you're an employee and you don't get along with your boss or somebody, you can find another job. A slave, you can't find another master. Um, and so when I read this, it humbles me mm-hmm. to know that I'm not a slave. Mm-hmm. I can't find another God, nor would I want to. But I, there's no place else to go as, as an employee. Right. You, you've got options. Right. As a slave, you don't. Right. Okay. Uh, and then Luke. to uh, starting in verse 2 of chapter 4 says devote yourselves to prayer uh, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving that word devote isn't used that many times in the New Testament but there's some noteworthy places where it is used 
Uh, it's used uh, a few times in the book of Acts in chapter 1 and verse 14. Uh, These all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. This is right after the ascension of Jesus back to heaven. And he's told them, you remain around Jerusalem. You're going to receive the Holy Spirit. And so while while they were doing that, it says they were devoting themselves to prayer. Uh, And so I thought that was significant, especially given the circumstances. Then we find that word used again in the next chapter. This is after they've received the Holy Spirit. And uh, the first gospel sermon, if you want to call it that, is preached on the day of Pentecost. There were about 3,000 souls that... uh, were baptized, became obedient. And then in verse 42 of Acts chapter 2, and they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So they've had this significant event in their lives and they are devoting themselves to certain things. And prayer is again in that list. Then in uh, Acts chapter 6 and verse 4, in this context, uh, there's been a complaint that's uh, given by the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows are being overlooked in the daily serving uh, of food, verse 1 of chapter 6. And the apostles tell them to select seven men to take care of this. And in verse 4 says, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So the apostles wanted to continue to focus on the ministry of the word, but they were also devoting themselves to prayer in doing that. And uh, so that was... Uh, again, an important part of their life. And then uh, the final place I wanted to look at in Romans chapter 12 and in verse 12, uh, just a a list of things. And in that list, uh, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer. And so here, Paul is telling the Colossians, you need to devote yourself to prayer. And I think it's a fair question to ask each of us. Are we devoting ourselves to prayer? As Christians, we should be. But I would dare say, if you want to embarrass a Christian, ask them about their prayer prayer life. Because I think oftentimes we fall short, and I'll put myself in that category too. And so we need to to take heed to that. And it's interesting, the last part of the verse says, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. So that tells me if we have this attitude of thanksgiving, and thanksgiving has come up 
several times in the book. But that will help us to devote ourselves to prayer if we keep in mind what all God has done for us and how thankful we are for that. And we're certainly richly blessed uh, in so many ways. And certainly one of the most important is what he's done for us spiritually. Yeah, Alan. Chapter 2, verse 3, praying at the same time for us as well. And I think it's interesting to note what it is that Paul asks them to pray for him. Keep in mind his circumstances. Where is he when he writes this letter? He's in prison. Now, what would my first thought be? I have to confess it would probably be, God, please get me out of prison. I don't deserve to be here, and certainly Paul didn't deserve to be there. But that's not what Paul says at all. He says, praying at the same time for us as well, that God may open up to us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ, for which I have also been imprisoned. So the whole reason why Paul was in prison to start with was because he was proclaiming Christ. But he says... Pray that more doors would open up so I can proclaim more about Christ. 
so I can get myself in further trouble with the authorities. Basically. But he didn't care about what his personal circumstances were. He cared about spreading the gospel of Christ. And so, pray that more doors may open. And also verse 4, in order that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. So, he wants those doors to be open and then that he may clearly proclaim the gospel of Christ. Make it clear to those. That's truly remarkable when you think about it. Shows his devotion to the cause of Christ. And again, he brings up the idea of the mystery of Christ that we've seen in uh, chapter 1 and verse 27 and chapter 2 and verse 2. Then he says, uh, conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. So, not only is he asking that he might have more opportunities, but he's wanting them to take advantage of the opportunities that they have to proclaim the gospel and yeah, asking for them to walk in wisdom. Uh, and the idea of walk has come up multiple times. And then he kind of finishes this little section with let your speech always be with grace, seasoned as it were with salt, so that you may know how you should respond to each person. So they need to act like Christians and speak like Christians. I would submit that it should be no surprise to those that you know, we work with, those that we con have contact with in the world. They shouldn't be surprised to learn that we're Christians. That should come, come out in the way we speak and the way we act. Okay, any thoughts or comments on this section? Okay. Well, then he gets to a section talking about various people. People that are largely unknown to us. We may know a little bit about some of these people from other passages, but they must be important people, an important part of the gospel message to be in the scriptures. And he starts off talking about Tychicus, calls him our beloved brother, 
faithful servant and fellow bondservant in the Lord. That's pretty high praise. And he uses almost identical language to talk about Tychicus in the book of Ephesians. And we've noted uh, before many similarities between Colossians and Ephesians. But in Ephesians 6, 21 and 22, he uses very similar language. But he talks about him being beloved. And that's not a word that's used very often in the scriptures. But it is used in the Gospels a few times to talk about Jesus. In Mark 1.11, at the baptism of Jesus, the voice out of heaven, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And you find the same kind of language at the transfiguration in Mark 9 and verse 7. And there's parallel passages in some of the other Gospels as well to those. But God talking about Jesus being his beloved son. Paul uses the same word, beloved, in referring to Tychicus. He also talks about Onesimus being a faithful and beloved brother in verse 9 and uses the term beloved to talk about Luke in verse 14. And with Tychicus, he also says uh, he will bring you information. says, for I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. So he's wanting to send them encouragement. Uh, I think it's reasonable to assume that the way he talks about Tychicus, that he has been an encouragement to Paul and he wants to share that. And he uses that same kind of language about uh, encouragement in chapter 2 and verse 2. Uh, and so it kind of ties back with that. And then he talks about Onesimus in verse 9. Our faithful and beloved brother who is one of your number. So he was... Uh, from Colossae and uh, he was sending him as well now we know a little bit more about Onesimus than we do Tychicus uh, because his story is told in the book of Philemon he was a slave who had apparently run away from his master or at least had been gone. Perhaps he'd been sent to do something but hadn't returned. And from Philemon, we learned that he had become a Christian, that he was very useful to Paul. And you know, we can certainly see that even in, in this verse. 
And Paul is sending him back to his master Philemon. And tells Philemon, you take him back. And if he owes you anything, you charge that to my account. So, uh, uh, so we know a little bit more about him from that. Uh, and not only take him back as a servant, but he's also a brother. And so, included, I think, in the idea of taking him back is the idea of forgiving. He's a brother. You need to forgive him. And we can certainly learn from that. Yeah, Alan. Uh, Onesimus was um, said to be in Philemon no longer a bondservant, but more than a bondservant as a beloved brother, especially mm-hmm. being how much more to you than the flesh of the Lord. Bondservant is the term dualist, I think, they mean slave. And sometimes we think only of the negative context of that. But here he became something mm-hmm. more in the term of bondservant. He became a slave to Christ, a slave to his brother. Mm-hmm. Now that's not a negative term when we think of how we react. We are to be slaves to the Lord. Right. Slaves to each other. And that's why Onesimus stands out and Tychicus stands out because they they were in this section here that's talking about slaves, and here they were slaves to the Lord. And we've got to have that kind of commitment. That we will not see ourselves as just free bodies, mm-hmm. but slaves to the Lord. Right. Yeah, the, the term bondservant of the Lord is used many times in the New Testament to talk about what our relationship to the Lord is. Uh, and also bondservants to one another. So, yeah, a- excellent point. Anything else on that? Yeah, Gary. Uh, we mentioned Luke in the. <laughs> we mentioned Luke in these passages here. This is one of two passages that we can go to to show that Luke was writing as a Gentile. When uh, Paul is mentioning his brethren here, he kind of puts a comment in verse uh, 11. He says, these are, my, these are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision. And then a few that he mentioned after that, he says, Epaphras is one of you. Mm-hmm. So he's making a distinction between circumcised Christians and right. uncircumcised Christians. And then if you go back to Acts, the first chapter, where Luke is writing about the, the feel of blood in verse 19. And it came known to all those dwelling in Jerusalem, so that it was called in their own language. So he's, he's referring to the Jewish language, what the term of the field was. Just another indication that Luke was writing as a Gentile. Right. Speaking of the Jewish language there. Yep. Okay. Uh, anything else? 
Yeah, he also mentions Aristarchus. Uh, he's mentioned a few other places. Uh, he's mentioned in Acts chapter 19. And uh, Acts chapter 19, in that context, was when there was uh, quite the uproar in Ephesus because of what Paul was teaching. And there was this big assembly, kind of like this mob. And he was one of the ones, verse 29 tells us, says, And the city was filled with the confusion, and they rushed with one accord into the theater, dragging along Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia. So he was drugged before that mob in Ephesus. Uh, this says he traveled with Paul. He's also mentioned in a list of several people that traveled with him in chapter 20 and verse 4. And in Acts chapter 27 and uh, in verse 2, uh, this is when Paul is sailing to Rome says, and in embarking in an Andrometrian ship, which is about to sail to the regions along the coast of Asia, we put out to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a, Macedonia, a Macedonian of Thessalonica. So Aristarchus suffered that shipwreck that Paul suffered in Acts chapter 27. So uh, they'd been through a lot together. Uh, and so uh, and he's also a fellow prisoner of Paul's uh, here verse 10 tells us uh, so he stuck with Paul in spite of the hardships you know none of that could have been easy but that tells us something I think about his character and his dedication and then he also mentions in verse 10, Barnabas's cousin, Mark. So Mark and Barnabas didn't just disappear after Acts 15. If you recall, in the first missionary journey that Paul and Barnabas took, they took Mark with them, but he ended up leaving before they were done. And then when they got ready to make a second journey at the end of Acts chapter 15, Barnabas wants to bring Mark along. Paul says, no, 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 he deserted us before. I don't want him around. Uh, Paul and Barnabas end up splitting up. And so Barnabas and Mark go on and... Uh, uh, apparently preaching the gospel in other areas, and then Paul takes Silas and starts on his second missionary journey. Uh, this isn't the last that we hear about Mark. Uh, also in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 11, these would be among the final words that Paul writes. Uh, 2 Timothy would have been his last book. Shortly before Paul's death, uh, he says, Only Luke is with me. Pick up Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for service. 
So, obviously, Paul had a change of heart toward Mark from Acts chapter 15 when he and Barnabas split up over that because he says Mark is useful. Uh, so, uh, so that's, uh, that's Mark. And then he also, in verse 11, Jesus called justice. He's only mentioned here, so we really only know uh, what's said here about him. And uh, as Gary pointed out, says these are the only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are from the circumcision. And they've proved to be an encouragement to me. So those were the Jews that were with Paul and had been encouraged, an encouragement to him. And then we find a list of some Gentile brethren who were with Paul. Uh, Luke is one of those, as, uh, as Gary pointed out. Uh, and he's called the beloved physician. Uh, Luke is only mentioned by name three times. You know, once here, once in Philemon, verse 24, and then also what we read in 2 Timothy 4 and verse 11. Uh, he's a Gentile, but we also know he wrote part of the New Testament. He wrote uh, the book of Luke and the book of Acts, which I didn't count these, but from what I read, Luke wrote more words of the New Testament than Paul did. Because Luke and Acts are both pretty long books. Uh, and so I thought that was interesting. And so Luke wrote more of the New Testament than any other writer. And he was a Gentile. So I thought that was an interesting point. Uh, and we know, again, from what verse 14 says, that Luke was a physician and he's called beloved. Uh, we also read about Demas. Uh, from verse 14, because uh, Luke sends his greetings and also Demas. That's not the last we hear about Demas. Again, in 2 Timothy 4 and verse 10, it says, For Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. So we don't know exactly what happened, but uh, that doesn't sound very good. Uh, but he also mentions Epaphras, and we have talked about Epaphras uh, in, uh, earlier in this book. Uh, he is called a bond slave of Jesus Christ, and we've talked about that already this evening. Uh, says he sends you his greetings, uh, <coughs> always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. So, Epaphras, I think we have a picture of him as a great 
unknown person. But what are some of the things that we know that made him great? Well, from Colossians 1 and verse 7, he brought the gospel to Colossae, taught many of them, and also those in Laodicea and Hierapolis who are close. Uh, those cities are close to Colossae. He's a bondservant of Christ and talks about him laboring earnestly for you in prayers. And the word labor is a word that's used to describe the training of an athlete. And so it's not something that just kind of haphazardly you, you just kind of do but you don't really have your heart in it no it's something you really work at you know those who are great athletes like Olympic athletes when I, I think of great athletes I think of Olympic athletes and how much of their life do they devote to training and to getting really good at what they do. You know, Michael Phelps, I think you've all heard of him. Uh, he's won a bunch of gold medals. Is he just that good a swimmer naturally? I don't think so. He really works, devotes himself to that. And did for a long time. He was in like four different Olympics, I think. So, uh, you know, makes a, uh, makes a difference. And this kind of laboring is talked about for Epaphras, but it uses that term... He's laboring earnestly for you in his prayers. So he's really working in his prayers for them. It says that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. And then Paul says, I bear him witness that he has a deep concern for you and for those who are in Laodicea and Hierapolis. So, he's someone that they obviously knew and had regard for. And he says, he's still thinking about you. And he's laboring earnestly for you. Okay, then he says, uh, Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and also Nympha, the church that is in her house. Uh... I think some, I have a footnote that some ancient manuscripts use the masculine form nympha and the church that is in their house, uh, which is right, I don't really know. Uh, but then he also says, and when this letter is read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and you for your part read my letter that is coming from Laodicea. And then the final person he mentions in verse 17 says to 
It says, and say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. And the only time we find him mentioned is in Philemon and verse 2. Where he's called a fellow soldier uh, in the salutation there. And then the last verse, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my imprisonment. Grace be with you. So I think the idea of writing a greeting with his own hand would lend some authenticity to the book. Uh, I think for the most part, Paul did not, was not the one that physically wrote the books that he wrote. There are other places where he talks about writing with his own hand and talks about what large letters he uses, uh, which has led some to speculate that maybe he had some vision problems that could have been his thorn in the flesh. Uh, and so whenever he wrote, he had to write with large letters because he couldn't see the small ones. Uh, that's all somewhat speculation. But here, writing this greeting with his own hand, I think would lend authenticity to the letter. And he closes with, remember my imprisonment, and then grace be with you. So... Any thoughts, last thoughts, comments, words? Yeah, Mike. I think it's interesting that um, Luke is mentioned several times, but then also Demas. Mm-hmm. We know that Demas, as, as you mentioned, Demas actually seems like he um, left, mm-hmm. either left the church or, or left following. Right. Um, and we know that the Laodiceans, that they were a church that was lukewarm, God would rather than have been hot or cold. Right. Um, and I, you know, there have been times in my life that I have thought, man, if I could have just walked with Paul, if I could have just been there, if I could have just heard him speak. But Demas worked with Paul. The Laodiceans received letters from Paul, or at least a letter from letter. Paul. And yet, they still had issues. So, you know, they did not, in reality, they did not have it any better or worse than we had. In fact, I can't imagine that, that we... We don't even have, we have to have that because we have a complete mystery view of this, correct? And so, you know, that thought process that, wow, there's no way I'd fall away if I would have been back there. We just have examples of, of we still have to be diligent in our own faith and working that out and not put our faith in someone else or in a circumstance. Right. Really good point. Anything else? Okay, well, thank you for your uh, attention and your comments, and this concludes Colossians.